there's a role for libertarianism, a big role. And I think libertarianism is going to be the dominant ideology among young people moving forward. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Well, hi there. Liberty Kittens, welcome back to Lions of Liberty. You know, if I don't sound as bombastic and uh, loud as I normally do, it's it's because I'm just trying to stay a little more low-key because, you know, I've seen a lot of a lot of haters out there on the YouTube in particular. They're just they're just nasty and they're they they really dig into you and they've been telling me that I'm just too loud. I've been screaming too much. I'm I'm too, I guess, too enthusiastic. But but you know what? That's what I am. I'm enthusiastic. I'm loud. I'm bombastic. Maybe I am. This is me being myself. The The version of me that's not being myself is that calm down, tempered version that you just heard at the top of the show. So to all the haters, guess what? You don't got to listen. This is me. And this is the version of me you're going to get each and every Monday. Because I have a passion for talking about the ideas of liberty. I'm going to do it again here today with my guests in episode number 284 of this program, which means you can find today's show notes featuring links to all sorts of stuff over at lionsofliberty.com slash 284. One thing I'll link to over at the show notes is the link to our support page. You can help become a part of this podcast, help support what we're doing, help us grow by going over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. And for people that give at the $5 or more level per month, you're going to be a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride. And that means you'll get all sorts of great perks like a discount over at our store at lionsofliberty.store. Be sure to check that out. And you'll also get access to our exclusive audio, such as the blooper reel which was just released this past Saturday exclusively for members who subscribe at the $5 or higher level. So head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash support and join the pride. My guest today is a political columnist whose work is currently featured at The Hill. She makes frequent appearances on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and many other outlets. She is also the author of the book, Government Gone Wild, How D.C. Politicians Are Taking You for a Ride and What You Can Do About It. And if all of that weren't enough, she was recently drafted to team Make Liberty Great Again in the Liberty Draft right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. She is the libertarian chick herself. I am pleased to welcome Miss Kristen Tate. Kristen, are you ready to roar? Hell yes, I'm so ready. All right. Uh, Kristen, it's great to have you here. And before we get into things too much, I just want to congratulate you, of course, on on being selected in in the Liberty Draft. I know that's a huge honor for you. Thank you so much. Yes, it's it's a big honor. <laughs> Something that all libertarians aspire aspire to out there in the world. <laughs> now, Kristen, I, I want to start off just asking, how, how did all this get started for you? How did you first take interest in politics overall? And how did you eventually become acquainted with the ideas of liberty to the point that you anointed yourself as the libertarian chick? Well, you know, I grew up in a household where my dad was kind of what you'd call an establishment Republican, and my mom was more left-leaning, and I never agreed with either of them. You know, I always thought both of them were crazy, but I also never really got political until later in life. And then in college, I just happened to hear Ron Paul speak when he came to New Hampshire. I grew up in New Hampshire. And he came to the University of New Hampshire where I wasn't a student, but I had friends who went there. And I happened to hear him speak. And I just thought, wow, everything this guy is saying makes so much sense. 
And that's kind of when I really learned about libertarianism was when I heard him speak and I started looking into it more. And the more I learned about libertarianism, the more I just thought, wow, this this is for me. This is what I am. I'm a libertarian. So that's how I, I really got interested in libertarianism. It was all thanks to Ron Paul. And I know he's done the same for a ton of other young people, too. Sure. I mean, when you saw Ron Paul speak, did you kind of think to yourself, oh, this is why I disagree with my parents on everything? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's funny, though. Right when I saw Ron Paul for the first time, I was like, I kind of knew who he was, but I didn't know much about him. And I just kind of rolled my eyes and thought, oh, here we go. Another white old man coming to tell us all how to think. And then he started talking and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Everything, everything kind of aligned for me in that moment. Was there any specific line or any specific subject that he that he touched upon in that that first time you saw him speak that really set off that light bulb that made you think, oh, okay, this is it. This is this is the pathway that I got to kind of explore more here. Honestly, when he started talking about the drug wars, I come from a part of New Hampshire that's not, you know, I, I lived in a nice town, but the surrounding areas there is some poverty there, and there was a big heroin epidemic where I'm from when I was younger and I saw a lot of people in my class and, you know, people from neighboring towns, young people dying from heroin overdoses. And, you know, it, it got me thinking this, this war on drugs is not working. You know, even though heroin's illegal, everyone's still getting it. They're buying it on the black market. They were buying tainted heroin. And I saw it claim a lot of lives and I never agreed with Republicans and their approach to the war on drugs. So when I heard Ron Paul talking about, you know, legalizing drugs and making it a safer, more open market, that's kind of what caught my interest right away. And then when he combined that with, you know, conservative economic policy, which I already knew I agreed with, I thought, wow, this is really cool. This is different. I like this. Yeah, I'll never forget the one moment. I believe it was a debate in, in South Carolina where Ron Paul said what? Or he mentioned, you know, legalizing drugs, including heroin. That was a question posed to him. And instead of backing down, he kind of doubled down on it. He said, well, yeah, of course. And and the audience kind of scoffed. And he said, what? What are you guys all going to go out and start doing heroin tomorrow? And I thought, and that actually got applause from a, a very conservative crowd. So I thought not only did he have, you know, positions that I found to be consistent, but he was able to kind of translate them to even audiences that would normally be hostile. And obviously he wasn't turning their entire belief system around, but in that one moment he was able to find certain ways to connect with people and maybe for a second or two show them how silly their position actually is yeah exactly i remember that moment too i think what he did is he said i want everyone in the audience to raise your hand if (laughs) if you would start using heroin if we made it legal tomorrow raise your hand and of course no one raised their hand and it was just such a perfect you know it was so perfect it just totally hit the point home that you know Anyone with a brain in their head probably is not going to start using heroin tomorrow. The people who want to do it are already doing it. We may as well make it a safer market. So once you kind of got your passion for the ideas of liberty and through the guys, the guys like Ron Paul and I'm sure other people that you sort of explored the ideas through, what made you take that extra step and, and decide you wanted to become sort of a, a public ad- advocate for these ideas? Well, in college, I interned for John Stossel at the Fox Business Network. And that's when I kind of realized, wow, I can actually work in the media and help the libertarian cause at the same time. Because before that, I never really wanted to make a a career out of politics. 
I was a major, I was a marketing major and I wanted to go into media. And when I interned for John, that's where it really hit me that I can kind of do both. And he's also been a huge inspiration in my career. You know, he does such a great job at taking really boring kind of libertarian policies and boiling them down into really simple, fun, easy to understand talking points and segments. So that was really inspiring for me. And that's what made me really jazzed up to get in the media and get this message out there, especially because so much of the mainstream media, as we know, is so blatantly biased. I can't even watch it. So it was really John Stossel that sparked that in me. And he was such a great mentor. And uh, that's that was really it for me. Now, what did you learn from John Stossel about how you can take libertarian ideas and translate them to to a, into a place where you can sort of discuss them with with people in the mainstream, with people that might not have really walked down that pathway? Because that's something I think John Stossel was was so great at. I, I remember growing up and, and watching a lot of his segments on 2020, and and it wasn't even until I was older that really put it together that he was selling me libertarian ideas it never <laughs> never occurred to me because I hadn't really gone down that path and yet I found myself intrigued by him and and always listening to what he had to say just because of his approach so what what sort of lessons did you learn from him that you maybe have used later on in life as you've become somewhat of a pundit yourself you know I think the biggest thing I learned from John is to make things simple and make them fun because when you're talking to a mass audience you're not talking to a bunch of political experts you're not talking to politicians you're not talking to wonks you're talking to people who probably have a career in a different sector you know they're not reading news all day so if you want to get them interested you really need to boil these topics down to their simplest most catchy form that's how you get the attention of people and obviously John Stossel is great at using TV, which is a visual medium. He has all of these great visuals. One of my favorite things he did was when he took the numbers of pieces of paper in Obamacare and stacked them up, and it was just like a room full of piles of paper, and he just said, this is how many pages are in this bill. It was such a great visual. Stuff like that gets the attention of people so much more than, you know, like, reading a textbook or, or writing a boring article that's you get people's attention by being fun catchy and making things simple so that's a great point because you can you can yell at a, a, a progressive all day long and tell them how burdensome Obamacare is and how how huge the regulatory body is and they can scoff you off. But when you point to a picture of a stack of paper that literally shows <laughs> the entire right, well, they can't really deny that at that point. You exactly, know. exactly. It's the visual that really drives the point home. And that's probably why we see politicians, you know, up in Congress sometimes with these giant charts showing whatever XYZ statistic going shooting way up or way down, because that's to show you, hey, look, you might not understand this mumbo jumbo we're talking about, but you can see this <laughs> chart and it's going one way and that's bad for you or good for you. Yeah, exactly. And it cuts through the noise. You know, when you're hearing people talking, you know, in the house or whatever, uh, in these hearings, it's just a bunch of guys, old, boring guys talking and talking. And, you know, eventually the yapping just kind of blends into the background. But when you see that visual, it's like, wow, that grabs your attention. Uh, how did you 
take your these the sort of obviously knowing John Stossel and working under him had to be a big help. But how are you able to sort of work your way into uh, mainstream pub- punditry while self-identifying as a libertarian? Because well, I do think cable news has gotten slightly more friendly to libertarian ideas over the past few years, uh, which which might so show some kind of po- progress that libertarians are making overall. But uh, for the most part, it's not really something that's talked about. It's not really something uh, that that they're pushing out there as a solution. Uh, so how did you go about working your way in and getting on a lot of these shows and being able to present these ideas in, in your own way? I think a lot of it is messaging, right? You know, the Republican Party moving into the future, I think, will be a lot more libertarian because younger people who are conservative, they have libertarian views when it comes to social issues, right? The majority, the vast majority of younger people, people who are under 35, they support gay marriage, they, they're they mostly pro-choice, but they may have conservative views when it comes to fiscal issues. So I angled myself kind of as a representation of that. You know, I represent the new conservative, which is very much libertarian. You know, I am a libertarian, but I also think being a libertarian, I am a representation of what the Republican Party needs to become and probably will become in the future if they want to survive. So that's kind of how I angled it. You know, another thing is I used to work for Breitbart News. Right out of college, I got a job at Breitbart. Oh, and so I was so just... you're, a, you're a white nationalist then, clearly. <laughs> yeah, obviously. From, from what I've been hearing, saying... anyone even associated with Breitbart is obviously a white nationalist. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They they stationed me down in uh, in Texas and I was covering the border during that huge surge. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, there was a big surge at the border when a bunch of Central Americans were coming over. It was mostly Hondurans. And, you know, these people, they were mostly unaccompanied minors, actually, were just pouring across the border. And that was another huge eye opening experience for me. That also kind of shaped my political identity and gave me a lot more, you know, weight to my arguments because I actually saw things firsthand. You know, before I was down there in Texas and I actually saw this immigration problem, I I had all of these ideas, but I had never I had no context in which to place them. When I went down there and I saw that, it gave me kind of a new understanding of the immigration issue, which is also connected to so many other issues, right? Like our economy, the welfare state, everything, it's all interconnected. So that also kind of helped shape my political footprint and gave me a lot more weight behind my arguments when I entered punditry. How did that experience shape your view on immigration? Because that's actually one area that libertarians really don't agree with. I mean, you get a full range of views from libertarians, from complete open borders, we don't even want an ID check, all the way to close the borders, keep everyone who's not a uh, a full libertarian out of here kind of thing. So <laughs> so how did you find yourself working out, out that position? And how did that experience you know help you sort of clarify that? You know, I am all for open borders and all of that if we don't have a welfare state. Milton Friedman said you can have an open border, you can have a welfare state, you cannot have both. And unfortunately, right now, the welfare state is just too ballooned to have open borders. So, you know, another thing when I was down there, I saw the people coming across firsthand with my own eyes. The media was reporting them as being mostly children. That is a completely false narrative. Many of them were minors, but they were like 17, 18. A lot of them were probably in their 20s lying about being minors. What I saw was a bunch of men 
or teenage boys, both, coming across with, like, neck tattoos. I mean, these people mostly look like gang members, and the media was reporting it as all women and children. And I thought that was pretty dishonest. But when I saw the the people coming across, you know, yeah, I get it. You can't judge a book by its cover. Maybe these people were great people that will end up contributing to our society. But to me, it looked like the vast majority of these people who were coming in were either adult-aged or almost adult-aged. And the media was reporting it as being all women and children, which was dishonest. And I don't like that. And it kind of made me more skeptical of the media as well when it comes to the immigration issue. So, so what do you think is the motivation then for misreporting on, I guess, on that issue, on, on exactly who was coming over? And, and what do you think was behind this sort of surge at the border at the time? You know, I, I've always wondered why the media is so left-leaning. It's something people talk about a lot. I don't know the answer to it. Most journalists just tend to be left-leaning and obviously portraying a surge of immigrants as being women and children kind of goes along with that left-leaning narrative, right? Liberals want amnesty. So that that didn't surprise me as to why they are left-leaning, why they did that. I have no idea. At the time, there was a surge at the border because I don't remember what the reason was. I don't even know if we knew the reason, but there was a big surge of them. And the reason that they kept coming, I don't know why it started, but the reason that they kept coming is because we weren't turning them away. All of these people would show up. We would put them in a holding center for 48 hours and then dispatch them to various locations in the U.S. and tell them to show up at court at a later date for their hearing. And, you know, of course, more than half of these people never even showed up at court. So they're just in this country unaccounted for at this point. And I think word got back down to Central America that we weren't deporting. So they just kept coming. So what do you think is is, uh, the motivation? I guess, you know, obviously there's a lot of people that that come over here just to work and they, they, they want a better life. I, I don't think right. most people come over here with a bad idea, but you know, when you put forward your idea of wanting open borders, ideally, as soon as we can get rid of this welfare state, I guess, how do you, how do you see that playing out? I mean, how much of the welfare state do we really have to get rid of before we can sort of allow more, more open immigration to the point that you could even say, okay, well, I don't care if the neck tattoo guys are coming over because we've, right. got, we've got the kind of economy now where if he's here and he's not contributing, well, that that's on him. You know, we have a long way to go. Right now in this country, more than half of U.S. households receive some sort of government assistance. And okay, yeah, that does include things like Social Security, but that's a problem. When you have more Americans collecting checks than you have full-time year-round workers, I think most people can agree that's a major problem. We need to better incentivize people to be self-sufficient instead of draining from the system and right now if you are on you're on unemployment you can make more money than you make working a minimum wage job so why the heck would anyone go you know flip burgers for minimum wage when they could make more sitting at home watching tv i just don't see the logic as to how we get people off the couch under the system uh of course i mean people always act in their best interest it's not the fault of the people who are on welfare it's the fault of our system and i also want to just point out no one's disputing that we need a safety net for our most vulnerable i'm just saying we have a long way to go before i would be okay with something like open borders Kristen, we've got some more to get into here, but just bear with me for a moment as I got to give a quick word to today's sponsors. Liberty lovers, have you seen our new t-shirt line over at lionsofliberty.store? If you haven't, 
Well, go check him out. But if you have, then you've seen the great design work of my man Dan Smots of Goulash Media. Dan has been a longtime fan of the Lions of Liberty podcast and credits the show with being a big contributor to his interest in libertarianism and politics in general. Dan is a super talented guy, and he is able to contribute to just about anything creative, whether it's graphic designs like you saw with our t-shirts, whether it's videography, he does weddings and that sort of thing, or audio production. He even did the newest jingle for Letters of Liberty, which you'll hear later in this program. Dan is based out of the Quad Cities area in Illinois, and he's always happy to travel. So if you've got a wedding coming up or any sort of project, video or audio related, I want to highly encourage you to check out Dan Smots and Goulash Media. That's Goulash, G-O-U-L-A-S-H, goulashmedia.net or goulashfilms.com. One thing you mentioned earlier was was messaging and how important that is. And uh, we've talked about the Republican Party a little bit, but we haven't talked about the party that actually uses the label Libertarian, and that's the Libertarian Party. So I'm curious what you thought of the Libertarian Party's attempt at messaging in this past election cycle. Oh, gosh. You know, I... That is a loaded question if I ever came up with one. (laughs) I know, I know. You know, I don't know if you've had this experience, Mark, but I have found the Libertarian community to be such hypocrites in certain ways, you know, (laughs) I know, I know. Unbelievable. Right. But the libertarians, you know, they're, they're, they claim to be such open-minded people. The ideology is very open-minded one. However, if you don't align with every single belief in the libertarian handbook, the libertarian party will ostracize you. And I think we saw that play out in this election. Uh, libertarians are very stubborn, and that's why we broke out of the two-party system. But that stubbornness can cause us to also be purists. And if we're going to be that stubborn and that purist, we are never going to win elections because we won't be able to work with anyone who you know, doesn't agree with us on every issue. So I, I actually won like Rand Paul than I did for Gary Johnson just because you know, I just don't see someone like Gary Johnson winning a general election. So I wanted to see more libertarians supporting Rand Paul, but libertarians are so stubborn that they didn't want to do that. You know, I thought the biggest impact that anyone has had on the Libertarian Party was when Ron Paul ran as a Republican. He did not run as a Libertarian in 2012, and he started a mini revolution among young people. So I want to see people working together across party lines. And what really bothered me about Libertarians in this election was their refusal to do that. So do you think that there is a role for the Libertarian Party or do you think that it's kind of become somewhat of a distraction and people might be better off working more? I guess I I know a lot of people are going to bristle at this word, but more pragmatically through the the present two party system. I think there's a role for libertarianism, a big role. And I think libertarianism is going to be the dominant ideology among young people moving forward. Having said that, the Libertarian Party, I don't know what the future of the party is. I'm not a party person. I'm an ideology person. You know, I think we see a lot of libertarian ideology on the left and the right. And I want to see those people coming together to nominate candidates who are Democrats, Republicans, and Libertarians and put those people in positions of power. To me, it doesn't really matter if you're running as a Libertarian on the Libertarian Party ticket. I just want to see people in office who kind of at least somewhat align with libertarianism. So I think we need to stop thinking about the libertarian party and start thinking more about libertarianism and how we can 
promote the ideas of libertarianism through all three parties. All right. Well, you know, in this last election cycle, I, I know I saw one video recently. Um, this is actually from earlier last year where you basically said that you decided to put your libertarian beliefs aside to vote for Donald Trump and, and support Donald Trump. So what actually drove you to that point? And and I mean, uh, what what actually makes you support Donald Trump? I guess I mean, I don't know how much you fully support him, but I think you generally seem to favor him as someone who, who holds libertarian beliefs. How do you see him as, as a positive force for liberty? You know, in this election, I saw Hillary Clinton as pretty much the antithesis of libertarianism. She would have expanded government in nearly every single way, uh, most notably with spending. I mean, we are $19 trillion in debt. The spending has got to stop. And that's why I supported Donald Trump. You know, I disagree with Donald Trump on probably 50% of the issues, somewhere around there. But I disagreed with Hillary on 90% of the issues. She would have been a nightmare for this country. And, you know, she would have ballooned the entitlement state. And it would have been hard to come back from that. So that's why I threw my support behind Trump. Because this election was just too important and too close. And I did not want Hillary getting in there. Yeah, of course, if I could have waved my magic wand, I would have put Gary Johnson in office. But I knew he didn't have a chance. And I wanted to help whoever was running against Hillary Clinton on the Republican ticket, because that's the person that had a chance in this election. So despite your issues with Gary Johnson, you still do see him as someone that, you know, if you could just wave the magic wand out of those three would probably be someone, you know, better than Donald Trump. Oh, absolutely. You know, Gary Johnson is almost perfect in terms of ideology. I think Gary Johnson's big problem, to be honest, is presentation. You know, when he speaks, he doesn't get people excited. Ron Paul had a way of speaking that just got people excited. It got you out of your seat. Even if you didn't know anything about politics, you heard him speak and it excited you. Like like what happened with me. Gary Johnson, I mean, he's really only appealing to that small group of people who already identify as libertarians. That's not how you're going to create change. You need to present yourself and communicate in a way that's going to break out of that little bubble and get mass pe- mass amounts of people really, really generated about, uh, excited about what you're saying. You wrote a pretty interesting article a couple weeks ago, uh, going back to Trump. And it, it, the article was titled, Trump is the leader millennials have been waiting for even if they don't know it. So can you expand on that a little bit? Why exactly do you think Donald Trump represents exactly what millennials kind of need in a leader? I know that's going to, that's going to brush some feathers out there too. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, I think one thing that Donald Trump stands for that I love is uh, his tax plan. You know, he wants to lower taxes for corporations. He wants to lower the corporate tax rate to 15%. And he wants to just lower taxes across the board. He also wants to get rid of a lot of red tape and regulations that are very burdensome on on companies. And when he does this, it's going to create a more business-friendly environment and allow companies to flourish, to grow, and to hire more people. That will be phenomenal for young people. The other thing is that young people, millennials, we're the most entrepreneurial generation in history. You know, people call us lazy or whatever. That's not true. We're not lazy. We're very creative. We're very innovative. We are tech savvy. We want to create businesses, but it's too damn expensive and difficult to do it right now. So when you remove the red tape and make it easier to start a business, you're going to see a lot of innovative little startups from young people. So on a policy standpoint, that's how I think Trump will be their perfect president. 
But then it also comes down to communication. You know, Trump is a pop culture icon. He is the master of social media. He is funny. He has a good sense of humor. When you combine that persona with policies that will help young people be more prosperous, I think you're going to see a successful presidency in the eyes of millennials. And you got to keep in mind, Mark, in a year from now, I think all of the election craziness is going to be ancient history. No one's going to remember that. What Trump does between now and 2020 is what's going to define his presidency. Do do you think it's going to die down? Because it really feels like we've reached a point where (laughs) it's never going to stop. Now, look, I have a lot of criticisms of of Donald Trump. I probably share a lot of the same ones you would have, especially when he talks about, you know, being fine with civil asset forfeiture, wanting to destroy a state senator's career who's against it. But the problem is that the criticisms I see from the left are not those. They're not the same ones. They're they're kind of they're either made up or just completely exaggerated or what have you. And then it's it's really hard to see how I can possibly come to a point of, of kind of communicating with these people who just tend to see the world in a completely different way. So do you actually think that some millennials and people that are you know currently sort of just hyperbolically against Donald Trump for just sort of generic reasons as as opposed to specific policy reasons that a lot of libertarians would have do you think a lot of those people are actually going to either die down or dare i say it even start to become trump supporters <laughs> uh i don't think most of them will become trump supporters i think what you have right now is just a very loud very angry sm- relatively small group of people it's left leaning progressives who are being the most loud right now I think it'll die down. They'll get bored of this because, I mean, obviously Trump passed his controversial travel ban, which created a big wave. But once that dies down, I think they're going to kind of they're not going to go away. They're going to keep complaining. But I think that they'll get bored and, you know, the extent to which they're complaining and whining will be less. But it's not those people who are going to turn into Trump supporters. It's the people who are being quiet right now who might be on the edge or might not support Trump but not be passionate about it. It's the people who are quietly suffering, working jobs that aren't paying great, or you know, living with mom and dad. Those are the people who are going to really benefit from his policies and who I think will become Trump supporters down the road. Again, assuming Trump does what he says he's going to do with the business climate. I'm assuming that when I'm making these statements. Sure. And say what we will about Trump, even on stuff I disagree with him with, it seems like he's really trying to do the things he said he was going to do, uh, both good and bad. So so time will tell how this all plays out. Chris and I definitely want to touch on your book uh, that you just released last year before we let you go. The book, again, is titled Government Gone Wild, How D.C. Politicians Are Taking You for a Ride and What You Can Do About It. Now, this is a libertarian podcast. It's been around for several years. A lot of my fan base is already going to kind of kind of be on, on board with the idea that they're being taken. <laughs> for a ride here by a lot of politicians. Uh, but what I'm interested in is is what you kind of present as your solution. What can the average man on the street that realizes they're kind of getting screwed start to do about it and, and take things back in their own hands, take the government back into their own hands? You know, I think the biggest theme of my book is fighting apathy. I'm a millennial and I have noticed so much apathy within my generation. You know, young people either just are depressed with politics so they throw their hands up and don't engage or they don't know a whole lot. You know, we saw a very low turnout in 2016 among millennial voters. So if you are a libertarian, you need communication tools to help your friends stop being so damn apathetic and show them why we need smaller government to make our communities more prosperous. And my book is kind of a roadmap on communication to kind of show you how to wake your friends up out of their, you know, 
slumber, out of their apathetic slumber and, and to communicate liberty in really catchy, fun ways. Because I think as libertarians, we get in our heads too much sometimes and we tend to just communicate at a very high wonkish level with our other libertarian friends. But, you know, our friends who are not libertarians, who are not politically active, they don't know what the heck we're talking about. So we need to be communicating effectively if we want to grow our tent and if we want to downsize government. And my book is kind of a roadmap on how to do that. All right. Well, Kristen Tate, I thank you so much again for coming on the program today. Uh, before I let you go, why don't you just do one quick run, run around? Obviously, everybody can find your book on Amazon and, and all that kind of thing. My readers are pretty smart with that stuff. But why don't you tell everybody else where they can find all your other work? Absolutely. Well, my, my website is thelibertarianchick.com. You can also follow me on The Hill, which is where I have a column. And uh, Twitter, my handle is Kristen B. Tate. All right, Kristen Tate, thanks so much once again for coming on the program and keep up all the great work. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the libertarian chick, Kristen Tate, also a member of Team Make Liberty Great Again. Of course, if you don't know what that is, that means you must not have heard the Liberty Draft. So I'm going to go ahead and post links to that over in today's show notes, which you can again find at lionsofliberty.com slash 284. We had a blast doing the Liberty Draft late last year. It was a big hit with all the kids out there on the internet. So if you missed it, by gosh, what are you waiting for? Go back and check it out. Now, before we get into some more Letters of Liberty, I want to give a quick shout out to a couple new members of the Lions of Liberty Pride that we picked up in the past week. Starting with my man, Drake Lundstrom, who just signed up last week. We also got Austin Broderson, longtime fan of the show. We are thrilled to have you guys as members of the Lions of Liberty Pride. And if you haven't heard your name yet and you have signed up, it means that one of a couple things. Either we're not sure your name exactly because it's not always clear from the usernames and the sign up there over at Podbean. Or you might have signed up after I record this because I do record this a couple days before it airs. So either of those are possible. But either way. So thrilled to have you guys as members of this pride, as people who are going to help us grow this show in the years to come. And now, folks, it's time to dip back in to the old Liberty Mailbag and answer a couple of letters of liberty. This is the new Letters of Liberty Mailbag song. Mark tried to write one himself, but it somehow just fell wrong. So to keep him from further embarrassing all of the lions of liberty. The free market demanded for better In the form of liberty letters So let's get to it This intro is much too long All right, and my first letter of liberty comes from Russell Lehman Russell asks What would be the results in respect to liberty Of a nationwide mid-to-long-term catastrophic event? For example, what if there were a CME event that knocked out the national power grid for 12 to 18 months? Would we reorganize ourselves into smaller governments and work together for mutual benefit? Would the federal government morph into a full-fledged authoritarian dictatorship? Somewhere in the middle. And Russell, I certainly hate to cheat off your paper here, but uh, I got to go with your last suggested answer there, somewhere in the middle. Because, And I want to recommend a book to people uh, if they don't really understand the how a catastrophic event, such as a CME— 
And, and a CME, mind you, is merely a, a huge solar flare. This is something that exists. It's something that can occur. It's, it's in no way an unrealistic scenario. A lot of people will say, well, China's never going to attack us. Iran's never going to attack us. They don't need to do that for a scenario like this to play out. But I, I do want to recommend this book. It's called One Second After by a guy named William Fortune, and I'll link to that in the show notes. In his book, which is a novel, by the way, it's not a documentary or anything, but in his book, essentially, nuclear weapons are detonated above the United States, which completely takes out the power grid, and it's really a story of one small town and how they deal with it. But essentially, yes, I do think we would have to be forced to sort of form into smaller groups if we weren't able to, you know, exchange resources in the way we do now. Right now, so much is internet-based. Uh, even our, our trucking systems, the transportation systems with bring, which bring food all over the United States, this is all energy and internet-based. If the energy systems go out, we're pretty damn screwed. <laughs> I mean, and this book really lays out some very realistic situations of how this could play out, but essentially uh, there's not a scenario where this is good. If the, if the power really did go out for extended weeks, it would really only take a couple weeks for things to get really bad. Uh, not to scare you guys, but it's it's one thing you should do when you're ta- thinking about prepping is just having food, having water, having the very basics on hand. Even if you just live in an apartment, you can store up a little bit of food, store up a little bit of water. It's very important to do because, yeah, if things fall apart, well, <laughs> they're going to fall apart. And, you know, it's, it's easy to have these rational ideas about the ideas of liberty. But I'll tell you what, when people are hungry, when people are thirsty, when people go off their SSRIs, their medication, I mean, think about that, how drastic it is when people go off medications. Well, if people suddenly can't get their meds, well, you're going to see a lot of people just literally losing their minds in the streets. So I don't think it would be a good situation. It's another reason it's always good to exercise your Second Amendment rights, even if it's just in your home, locked up in the back somewhere, because you never know when things can get a little bit crazy. It doesn't necessarily take a sci-fi scenario for us to face something like this. But at the end of the day, I do think we would have to gather into small groups, call them governments if you want, to take care of each other and to sort of assist each other, including for mutual defense against the aforementioned crazy people, uh, looters that would sure to be pop up. I do think that any semblance of a federal government that existed certainly you know, has the possibility of becoming authoritarian, especially in response to rioting, in response to looting. I mean, the opposite of, of chaos is order. And when something, when order is brought down uh, in response to chaos, you're going to often see the response in the form of order swing the entire other direction uh, to full order, which would essentially be a police state. So let's just really hope none of this happens because I don't feel like our fellow man is really ready for it. And and really, who wants an apocalyptic scenario to really come forth anyway? Not me, but good question, Russell. Got another question here from a recent member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, Victor Hugo. Victor asks, are you tired of Trump and the Democrats, everyday scandal and all the fake news, or are you enjoying the show? And Vitor, I got to be honest with you. I'm enjoying the show. (laughs) I am enjoying the heck out of it because, you know, I've been following politics since, oh, probably the late 90s when I was a teenager still. And uh, obviously that has increased over the years. I I went from just sort of casually following it to becoming an active and vocal participant. But it's really amazing. It's been an amazing time to be alive to see the convergence of the mainstream media with the alternative media because I grew up on the mainstream media. And then as I got a little bit older, I started to get into the alternative media. I started watching YouTube videos. I started watching documentaries. I started listening to Alex Jones now and again, although I, I'll say now I have kind of fallen off from my, my 
Alex Jones fanhood of maybe 10 years ago, but I still think uh, watching what he has done in the alternative realm is pretty damn fascinating. So it's been amazing to see this world kind of converge. And this is something I discuss with my guest next week, Roger Stone, a longtime political operative, a friend and advisor to Donald Trump. And he credits Alex Jones partially with Trump's victory. The fact that people are seeking out alternative media. Alex Jones was a huge Trump supporter, and that did have some sort of an effect on the election. It's really been amazing time to watch the realm of conspiracy, the realm of alternative media, essentially invade the mainstream news and watch them just frantically combat it uh, with the, the fake news thing, which gets turned back around on them by Trump. And look, I, I'm fully aware we're getting fake news from everybody. We're probably getting fake news from Sean Spicer. We're getting fake news from Alex Jones. We're getting fake news from the MSM. I'm not naive about any, any of this, but it really is fascinating to watch uh, all of this merge together. I'm not going to lie. Despite the possible terrible implications for humanity, <laughs> I am really enjoying the show. Next up, I've got a letter of liberty from Lee Letourneau. Lee asks... Have you ever felt kind of burnt out on the whole liberty movement? If so, what reignited your passion? Well, Lee, I got to be honest with you. Have I ever felt kind of burnt out on it? Uh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> Honestly, I feel burned out all the time. And I don't say this to be negative, but when you immerse yourself in, in politics so deeply and, and you, you see all the atrocities in the world, you see people being thrown in jail because of the war on drugs. You listen to John Odermatt's Felony Friday. How many awful stories we hear about people that have just been completely screwed by the criminal justice system. When you really dive into this stuff, it can drive you crazy. Hearing about all the tragedy, seeing how difficult it is to communicate libertarian ideas to people, let alone get them enacted in our legal system, in our society. Yeah, it's frustrating as all hell. So. I can't really think of like a specific moment where I was burned out, but I'm kind of constantly a little bit burned out because I do put so much of myself into this. Uh, I work all week. I have a life outside of this. I still find a time to sit down here and have conversations about liberty every week and, and answer letters of liberty because I'm passionate about this. And I do feel that this conversation eventually over time does and is going to lead to positive change in the world. And that's really what keeps me going. What keeps me going is showing up and checking out the download numbers or going onto Facebook and seeing all the comments in the Lions of Liberty forum. By the way, if you're not a member of our free Facebook group, Type in Lions of Liberty Forum in your search bar on Facebook and come on in. As long as you look like a real person, you can come join the party. But we have so many great conversations over there, not just about the show and the guests on the show, but just about the ideas of liberty in general. And it's really become a great group. And seeing this group come together, seeing people react to our interviews and all the great shows we do here, not just myself, but John Odermatt, as I mentioned, on Friday, uh, Brian every Wednesday with Electric Liberty Land, seeing all this come together and seeing all the interaction from all the great people out there in the Lions of Liberty community, whether you're an official member of the, the Pride paying or not, I'm glad to have all you guys listening and participating in the show because without you guys, there's no reason for me to do this. There's no reason for me to sit in front of a microphone and just rant about liberty every week and answer your letters and, and have guests on. I do this for you guys. I don't just do it for my own health. I do a little bit for my own health. I think I probably do need to vent some of this out there so it's not just walking around in my head all the time. But for the most part, I do this and continue to be inspired by 
all the people that listen and participate because, you know, without you guys, I, I don't see the reason to maybe come back every single week. I probably would have gotten frustrated a long time ago if I didn't know I had so many great people out there listening, ingesting, taking it all in, and really thinking about this stuff. I mean, that's why I started the show. I wanted people to think deeper about the ideas of liberty and really interest people who might just, you know, have their only exposure might have been to, you know, academic articles and that kind of thing, which I think is important. It's great, but we need to have real conversations with people. That's why I do this show each and every week, and that's why the Lions of Liberty do all the shows we have all three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, here in your Lions of Liberty podcast feed. So with that, that seems like a good time to wrap things up again, folks. Please Join the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. You can tweet to us. If you want to send a letter of liberty, that's the best way to do it, by joining the uh, Facebook forum, the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can also drop me an email, mark, M-A-R-C, at lionsofliberty.com, or hit us up on Twitter. However you want to do it, I'll be sure to get your letters answered here in this forum each and every week. Until next time, folks, live long and live free.